when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me as always is my best friend, Aaron. Oh... Was that your best Wookiee impression? Or was that your Tim Taylor from Home Improvement? Not, not my best Wookiee, but it was my Wookiee. That's not even your worst Is that better? Is that okay. droid speak better? Something. Should I, I stick know. to English? I think you should stick to whatever it is that you do on a regular basis. Hello. Hello, as he says. <laughs> Well, if you didn't know by now, this week we were exploring the world of Jedi, droids, Wookiees, and scruffy-looking nerf herders as we take on the first of our Star Wars double feature, The Force Awakens. I'm so glad we had an opening in the schedule to talk about this one since The Last Jedi is right around the corner. And um, I know that I was really excited to find out that this movie was one that we actually hadn't covered because the podcast started after it had released. So this is pretty much perfect, wouldn't you say? It's awesome because we get to talk about a good Star Wars movie. There we go. <laughs> and we've only gotten to talk about a bad one. So, <laughs> whoa, dig. <laughs> well, why don't we go? <laughs> Sorry. Why don't we go ahead and start? Because I don't think this conversation is going to get any better <laughs> if we don't. <laughs> if you hadn't seen The Force Awakens, please go see it because this is going to be a spoiler filled podcast as always. And even if you weren't listening to this podcast, which why would you be anyway, go see it anyway. Cause it's a really great movie. It's one that um, I'm hoping that we'll get to dive into in detail about why we liked it or loved it or whatever our reactions are, but just know that this is uh, all spoilers all the time. So you have been warned. Han dies. <laughs> they were warned. You gave them the warning. I did. I gave them the warning. I can say that. <laughs> Well, Aaron, I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> I'm off script. I'm like, I'm like Jim Rome shuffling my papers. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get started. I would like to know, this is a movie that we've both seen, and I wanted to get your reaction of your then versus now. You know, I wanted to kind of gauge, you know, we both saw it for the first time when it came out. And so kind of give me your, your, your reactions to it then. And then when you, for the recent, uh, the podcast, what you, what, what your reactions were for sure, man. Well, this was, like you said, before the podcast, uh, came into existence, I actually think this was, I want to say maybe was a movie pass. I don't know if it was movie pass or not. Movie pass may not have come into existence. I remember booking my tickets to this early on. And seeing it on opening night, the very first showing that was available on a Thursday night, I was super excited for it, along with everyone else in the entire world. Uh, and it, I remember the line going, you know, well out the door of the building. The theater was so packed. And I had what seems to often be the case for me with blockbuster movies that I have high expectations for is a middling experience. There was a lot that I really enjoyed about it, and I thought it was very good. I thought it was an exciting start to a new trilogy. I thought that the new characters 
were great and had a lot of potential. But I seem to, and I think this is, this is just a reoccurring thing that I have to fight against, but I seem to focus a lot on the negatives from that experience. Probably because I'm going in with such high expectations, for some reason the negatives stuck out to me more. I don't know. But I was really brought down by the amount of, I guess what you would call, fan service and what I thought at the time was to be a lack of imagination in the story. I felt like it was too repetitive uh, for the story, Star, Star Wars stories we had heard before from specifically A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie, episode four. Um, and so that was kind of my, you know, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I joined in on all of the love for it. But over time, I usually gravitated toward complaining about it more than I did anything else in social media and such for most of the next year. Yeah. So what about now? Well, I actually rewatched it. I've rewatched it twice in the last couple months. One was back in what month did I do this? Was it October, November, early November? I think, I think it was November. It was early November. I rewatched rogue one and decided that I needed to rewatch this as well. I was trying to see if I could jumpstart myself back into my stardom Star Wars fandom because it has just seemed to wane for me over time. And I found myself being really negative about the movies and I just didn't I didn't like it to be honest. I didn't like the way that I felt about Star Wars. So I rewatched uh, The Force Awakens that point and I loved it, man. I all of that disappointment with the story being repetitive it's still there and I will gladly talk about what is there and how I feel that it almost goes beat for beat in so many ways with a new hope, but it didn't bother me anymore. Instead, I felt like it was pretty darn fantastic use and nostalgic referencing. And part of that I also believe is because having seen rogue one, I felt like rogue one didn't do as good of a job of that as I would have liked. And so in retrospect, it made the Force Awakens version of it look better. And this one just has everything you want, Patrick. It is paced perfectly. It it's it's speedy. It never feels like it wanes, but its dramatic moments are in there. It's got lightsaber battles, it's got space battles, it's got cliffhangers, it's got, you know, mysteries about different characters. I like it more and more every time I've seen it, and I it's got me so excited for The Last Jedi that I am right back there where I was pre-Force Awakens with all the other Star Wars fans going, yes, give me this new modern take. So I'm I'm all aboard and all in, and this movie is probably my second or third favorite Star Wars movie. All right. Right behind A New Hope, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, behind A New Hope and Empire would be the, the other two yeah. that I would probably put before. But I, I love it. What about What about you? Where did you start? Well, my first experience was a theater experience, obviously, like a lot of people. And I actually hadn't bought my tickets yet when it came out. I was like you in that The Force Awakens was just, it was the next iteration of Star Wars for me. It wasn't really something very exciting. I remember thinking, okay, it's been a while since we got a trilogy of Star Wars. And I was not down on the prequels, although... You know, they have not aged well, as social media will tell you that for the most part, the majority of people do not like them. 
I'm not in that camp completely. There's a lot there that I don't like, but there's a lot there that I do. But I was really kind of, okay, well, now that we've gotten what happened before, I'm, I'm, you know, who knows what happened afterwards. I mean, I've always been a fan of the original three. And when The Force Awakens released, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I felt like I needed to get my tickets right away. Around that same time, I was switching to a new job and I happened to get a free ticket handed to me because the whole team that I was working with at the time, they were all going. And I thought, hey, this would be something fun to kind of acclimate myself to the team, feel like one of the one of the one of the gang. And I went in really having kind of middle ground expectations. I mean, in JJ Abrams, I trust. I think a lot of the stuff that he does I really appreciate and really like. And coming out of it, it, I mean, it was like this big whiff of nostalgia and everything was, I was smiling. We were talking about it, you know, even a week later about some of the plots about what was, you know, okay, so who's Kylo Ren, you know, does he have a sister? Is it, is it, is it Ray, you know, and all this stuff and all these little theories were coming out and I was really caught up in the whole, Oh, I'm excited about this and what's going to happen. And these new one-off movies, like this rogue one and this Han Solo and Boba Fett movie. And then over time that sort of waned because I was like you, I was like, Oh, the more I think about it, that was pretty much a new hope set for 2017 or not 2017, but 2015 or whenever it came out. And I just kind of went, okay, well, all right, I guess we'll see you in a couple of years. And the podcast has really given me a lot more enthusiasm to to be more involved. I'm not going to say I'm going to dive into everything Star Wars related. There's just one too much. I don't have that much time. And two, I'm okay with being a casual fan of the franchise. Just like I'm okay with being a casual fan of the Harry Potter franchise or the Fast and the Furious franchise. It's just enjoyable in the moment. And then when it's done, I don't really have a problem not thinking about it anymore. But when I'm in the moment with these movies, then uh, I'm all in. And so watching it for the second time, I mean, because I hadn't seen it since my theater experience, which was really interesting. I didn't realize that because I bought it uh, shortly after. I think, I don't know if it was one that you bought and I got the digital or whatever, one of the like that. But watching it for the podcast gave me a a fresh take on on the movie. Uh, there were not a lot of things that I didn't like the first time around. But what really grabbed me was everything felt enhanced to me. The characters felt a lot more enjoyable. There was a lot more to love scenery-wise. Uh, you mentioned the nostalgia. That was there, but it didn't feel heavy-handed. And more than anything, The Force Awakens, I remember thinking this the first time, it felt very classic. If we look at the prequels, there was a lot of heavy CGI. There was a lot of, hey, let's see what the latest and greatest technology we can use to create this world that lived before these 1970s, 1980s movies. And The Force Awakens, I think what it did really well was it set the tone more back to the classic look and feel of the original trilogy. I felt like I was watching an extension of Jedi or an extension of Empire or an extension of A New Hope visually. And that surprised me in thinking about it this time around because I didn't think I latched onto it as much. And I'm realizing now that that was probably the biggest thing that made me enjoy The Force Awakens as much as I did was because it felt like it fit in the original trilogy, whereas you watch the first three and they don't quite do that. So for me, this, this viewing felt like a real big enhancement. 
and it made me really excited about seeing uh, the last Jedi. I'm, I'm anxious to see where the where the story goes from here. So I wanted to ask first up. Uh, I mentioned the prequels, and and I mentioned first off that about the about the scenery and whatnot. But I wanted to ask you: uh, one, are you a fan of the prequels? And two, if you are or aren't, what was it about the prequels that differentiated them from something like the force awakens for you? Well, I didn't know this question was going to be on the test. Um, Sorry. Pop quiz. Hot chat. So <laughs> I have not rewatched the prequels in many, many years. Mm-hmm. When they first came out, I was, I was definitely into it. I went and saw the first couple of them at midnight showings. I remember dressing up for one of them at the time I had like every Lego star Wars set that was in existence. So I was a big fan back in the day. And I don't remember them fondly, but I also don't have any sort of like vitriol or hate for them like you see in a lot of people these days. So when people bring up the prequels, I don't immediately jump in and start bashing them, uh, nor do I ever bring them up myself just to take pot shots at them. There were things that I enjoyed about them. Uh, I didn't think all of the acting was great. And I, you know, some of the story points were ridiculous and, and some of the characters like Jar Jar were obviously annoying. I mean, these are, these are known problems, but they were fun fantasy adventures in the Star Wars universe. And I, I still would enjoy watching them. And eventually when I work my way through with my son, I'm going to have a good time with them. I don't, I don't think there'll be anything less. I remember I really enjoy the prequels in the Lego video games, so there's that. <laughs> but um, I guess if I was comparing, I would say The Force Awakens obviously does it way better than the prequels did. What J.J. was able to give us is that mixture of mod- – first of all, he has the benefit of modern-day special effects – Right. As compared to when were the prequels late nineties, early 2000. Right. Okay. So, I mean, effects were in existence then and they were coming into their own and, and getting better. And so there was a lot the prequels did that was really cool at the time, but effects get dated pretty quick. Uh, special effects, especially more so than practical effects, it seems. Mm-hmm. And so what JJ gave us was, I mean, it was epic in scope. And it felt epic with its mm-hmm. score and its and its new characters. It's just got a diverse cast and just everything about it felt. I don't man. It's so hard to describe. There's like this perfect blending and balance in the force of <laughs> characters that we already know with these new characters that made it intriguing. Mm-hmm. And in the prequels, we didn't really have characters that we already knew we were getting other than like Obi-Wan. Right. And sort of Darth at some point, Anakin, but we didn't know them as those characters. We only knew, you know what? Does that make sense? Right. It does. It does. And, and so it was all new people and all new characters trying to set that stage. And so it was like learning it all over again in a lot of ways. Whereas the force awakens kind of ushers us in to these new characters by way of 
relating them to the older ones that we know and love and, and mm-hmm. putting them in situations where they have to interact with them. So I, I guess I don't, I, now I'm getting off topic because I don't know what else to say about the prequels other than I liked them at one point and I don't hate them, but they're not the best Star Wars movies ever made. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to be a pop quiz. What you said was really something I latched onto was this idea of balance. The, the prequels felt very distant from the original three, both in the way that they visualized things there. And I, and I believe the CG CGI was probably the thing that uh, hindered them the most with the, uh, with maybe a, a close second being some of the writing and the dialogue and whatnot. But the familiarity I think is about on par with the force awakens. I mean, there was definitely, in my opinion, an equal amount of, characters you knew versus characters that were that that you didn't but as i look at the the seven movies that exist and soon to be eight movies that exist in this uh, i don't know what you call it a, tri- a triplet trilogy i don't know what you'd call that franchise I, I, it's yeah, a franchise it's, a, it's yeah it's a beast is what it is it's disney but i look at this and i see the the prequels is kind of suffering from the sense of distance. Also the intrigue of the story centers around stuff that was really not very exciting. I mean, the the thing about the middle three that makes them probably the most powerful in a lot of ways is that you have backstory that you don't see, you're just told about. And we've talked about this on the show that there are movies that have characters who mentioned things that happen in the past, for instance, Pacific Rim, you know, we have characters that mention things that have happened in years past that we get callbacks to, but we don't know about that. We just kind of visualize it, imagine it. And I think the prequels kind of visualize that for us. And so once we got that, we now have a, Oh, it's really about politics. And it's also about Obi-Wan. And it's also about Anakin. Okay. So in a lot of ways, you had a lot of stuff going on, but it wasn't all really interesting. And the biggest thing that we get from this whole thing is really Anakin's turn to Darth Vader, which I think everybody wanted to see. With The Force Awakens, we have an extension of what we already know and are already familiar with. So I think sometimes going forward is a lot more comfortable and a lot more appealing than going backwards. Where a great way to put it. We can we can imagine the past, but we want to see the future. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways, I think that's what The Force Awakens has going for it. And I think I'm just going to be in J.J. Abrams' head right now and speak for him. Sorry, J.J. But I think that he had that in mind when he and his creative team came up with the plot for this. And this is probably the biggest pain point for a lot of people is the fact that this movie, The Force Awakens, is essentially a retelling of A New Hope in terms of story beats, in terms of specific events that happened through that. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your vantage point from that, because you mentioned that it was at first kind of a sticking point, but then that kind of faded away. Why, why did it fade away for you? Well, I think I, because I focus more on the characters than the story beats. Okay. Um, I got, once I got to know the characters, once I cared about the characters, and their individual paths. And I realized that they were not heading down the exact same character arc as our current characters, even though that, that some of them would be similar. 
there was going, there were going to be differences. And so that helped me, but I'll call out a couple of the main points that really initially bugged me the first time through. One was the fact that when, when uh, Poe is on Jakku in the very beginning of the film, you know, we start off with him and a droid and the droids got the secret plans and it's running from, you know, the, the, what are they called? Not the rebels <laughs> running from the first order, uh, the empire. And just as, you know, Darth Vader landing, you know, we have Kylo Ren do a landing and come after him and ask him where the plans are. And it's, it's, it's all very, and then take him up and, you know, torture him and try to get him from him. It's, it's all so familiar, um, that I was like, okay, really? And then the other things were more kind of, they weren't that that specific action, that sequence felt to me like a true remake, literally taking the exact story that happened and just inserting new characters in new places, but they're the same exact thing is happening. There's a, a joke made later uh, by Finn, I believe it is, about a trash compactor. He says... Somebody asks him, I think it's uh, Han, asks something about, oh, you, know, you wouldn't have a trash compactor, would you? And Finn's like, Haha, yeah, yeah, there is. And I really didn't like that. I groaned. And I remember rolling my eyes the first time I watched it. But on successive viewings, I kind of grinned because what, I, what I've read it as now in the future is that is what Han would say. Okay, so I have to put myself in the character's shoes because as as a viewer, Aaron says, I've already been down this path. Han's already been in the trash compactor. I've already gone and seen that. But that's I think that's the point in that quote is that that is what Han knows. The last time Han was on a Death Star to get out, to hide, Han was in a trash compactor. So what what else would he say? Like, of course he's going to reference that because that's what he did. And so when I when I started thinking about it in those terms, it didn't bother me as much. The fact that there is Starkiller Base, which is just a bigger, bigger Death Star, essentially, that's probably the one thing that might still bug me the most is I, I think I can understand why we might have made that choice. JJ might have made that choice is because it's, it's similar uh, and it's a new generation of star Wars fans and you're bringing them in and everything is relatable. Um, and ultimately I was able to get to terms with the star killer base as a, as a, a big bad by way of understanding its devastation and the real, and, and the fact that it's so much more than a death star, right? Death star. We see blow up one planet. This we see take out an entire system of planets, which is no small feat. Uh, and there's, there's weight given to that. So I, I guess while I don't necessarily love it from a creative standpoint, I think that if we put ourselves in the characters' minds, this is exactly kind of the path that they would go. The Empire would keep trying to build bigger and badder Death Stars because it worked, right? Why wouldn't you do what worked before? And just try to make it more secure. That's why we had a second Death Star. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I land with the remakeability of it. Um, and I think 
that once I was able to do that, I was able to accept it more nostalgically than I was to take issue with it. And it just becomes more enjoyable for me. Yeah. I didn't, the, the, the second viewing was like you, I didn't have as much of an issue with it. And I started thinking about it from a creative standpoint. And you mentioned the word, I think either safe or familiar. I can't remember either one, but you also mentioned the fact that you really focused more on the characters. And I honestly believe that's what JJ Abrams and company wanted us to do was to introduce us to new characters and letting the events that took place be connecting points for each one of them to get from point A to point B to point C. Um, This movie leads into what could be more of an original story because we know about these characters. By the end of the film, we have some empathy for some, we have hatred for others. We just, we have, we have context for each one of these characters to, to move forward. And I think the success of this film lives in its ability to give its characters meaning and interest leading into the next film. My theory is that I look at a movie like empire and I think most people would probably put empire as their number one star Wars movie of the potentially nine that are out that will be out there. Is that safe to say? I think most people do. I'm not necessarily one of them, but yes, I think most people. Okay. Do. I think very, fair enough. I'm not trying to get you to, you know, rank your stuff at this point, but I think about empire in the same way. I think about the Godfather part two, which is by far my favorite of the Godfather movies. Like if I'm going to give, uh, the word masterpiece to one of those three movies, <laughs> the Godfather part two is going to be my number one. The reason why is because the original Godfather exists. We get context from that first movie and the second movie plays within that, within its own kind of plot and story. It calls back to those particular things from the first movie. And so we have, we have context, we have uh, points of connection and I think Empire is really good because a new hope exists. And my hope, no pun intended, is that The Last Jedi is going to do for The Force Awakens what Empire does, or The Force Awakens will do for Jedi what A New Hope does for, for Empire. We have, we have this introduction of all these characters. We have story arcs. We have all these things. And now we have the potential for a refreshing new story because we're now comfortable. We're now connected. We're now familiar with these characters. We don't have to worry about any of that. Um, think about it. The, and, and the fact that this is a story that's been retold doesn't bother me because I've seen the fast and the furious, but I've also seen point break. And I love both of those movies equally as much. Granted one takes place <laughs> on a surfboard and the other one takes place in a car, but it's still essentially the same plot. And I'm okay with that. Now, granted, in the Star Wars universe, you have two movies within the same universe doing the exact same thing. And so I might cry a little bit of foul on that. But at the very least, I think Abrams is accomplishing what he wants to accomplish and giving giving fans a chance to get reacclimated to the world of Star Wars, probably because the prequels didn't quite do it for them. So I'm excited about what's to come. And I think that uh, The Force Awakens has a lot to do with that. I agree. And I also think that the people that dislike a film are always the loudest group. (laughs) And when you're talking in terms of something like Star Wars, 
whose fandom is as big or bigger than any other fandom that exists, that becomes a very loud and vocal minority. And so that's why we hear so much about how big of a problem it is that the movie uses too many references, right? And I think human nature, when you hear that over and over and over and over, I think negativity really can infect other people. Like like I said, I use myself as an example. I was more of a averaged out, you know, kind of feeling about this, but then the constant negativity that I saw about it started to bring me down uh, to that level somewhat. And so um, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think it's nearly as big of a deal as some have made it out to be. And I'm so glad both for, for my sake and for your sake that we have been able to now enjoy the movie and not focus on that as, as a, as a something that takes away from our experience. Yeah. Something that franchises have is, I don't know if it's very new, but it's definitely something that has come to mind for me. And I credit the nerd writer and Hannah Long for bringing this to my attention. I don't remember what movie we were talking about, but Hannah was in the chat one night and she mentioned this, this term called intertextuality. Do you remember her bringing that up at all? I remember the term from a nerd writer video, but I don't remember Hannah talking about it. I don't know if I was involved or not. Yeah. Hannah mentioned it and then she linked to the nerd writer video on it. And I have just been kind of enamored with this word and its effect on Hollywood movies. And if you don't know what it is, I'll give you a quick educated uh, definition of it. It's defined as something in a text, like a movie, a book that is shaped by something else meant to trigger an emotional response to the audience. And Nerdwriter actually uses this in his, his video series, his video um, essay. He uses The Force Awakens as a fantastic example with the reveal of the Millennium Falcon. I've talked to a handful of people before the podcast tonight, and I've said, what's one of your favorite moments in The Force Awakens? And most all of them, when they mention some of theirs, the one they, that all of them have said was, I loved it when we saw the Millennium Falcon. And... I went back and, and watched that that video essay, and there's some truth to that. There's something about being connected to your past, about being connected to something from a nostalgic point of view that gives emotional weight to the experience that you're having. And Nerdwriter kind of made an argument that Hollywood might be overemphasizing this in a lot of ways. The prequels did it, obviously. The Force Awakens does it, and it's not something that's, I mean, it's something that's very common. But I think what made The Force Awakens work for me was that there wasn't too much. I felt like there was a great balance of nostalgia and newness that we have, again, the extension of of what these stories are. We weren't calling back to stuff necessarily unless it was in one of two ways, either the context of a joke that was sort of an in-joke that the characters knew about. You mentioned Han, you know, being on the Death Star and knowing about the trash compactors and so he would make a comment like that. Or as simply a a callback to us as an audience to let us to let us know, hey, the creators were thinking about you during this moment. But I wanted to ask you, Aaron, how does that affect your movie experience as a whole? Maybe not with The Force Awakens or maybe with it specifically, but 
do you pick up on that? Do you, do you pick up on the intertextuality? And if so, does it, does it enhance your movie experience? Do you like it? Do you feel like you're manipulated when you, when you get through that when you experience that? You know, I, I don't know that I would say I've picked up on it a lot. This would only really, a, I don't know. This would only, I guess, appeal to franchises and, films that have multiple versions of them because uh, it's not like any of the indie movies that I'm watching are going to have this, this as part of its. You know, right. Experience. And, and, and maybe you're not the right person to ask because you watch 150 movies a month and like two of them. Not a month, busters. not a month, a year. No, um, but no, I mean, definitely. So here's an example. The first Star Trek movie uh, by JJ Abrams <laughs> again he used the mo- the song Sabotage in a very cool way to mm-hmm. introduce Kirk. Yep. Um, he was driving down the road. He was being chased by the robot policeman. He, you know, he's almost drives off the edge, you know, and kills himself. And that's when he gets brought in to, to talk to the Admiral about the, uh, going to be a captain. Right. So we're going to Starfleet. So we, Inter- we're introduced to our new version of Captain Kirk, even though he's a young boy, through that song. That song comes back in Star Trek, um, crap, uh, Beyond. Beyond. Star Trek Beyond, the third film. And it comes into play where Kirk is using that song to do something amazing. And it's one of the best, most awesome sci fi space action sequences that we've seen in years super cool it's very memorable and the song is perfectly fitting for it i feel like that's an example of this so that would be one that i definitely remember and it triggered that memory in me of two movies earlier when i first met kirk and that that was kind of his anthem and of course that was going to be the song and everybody kind of knew it the characters on the ship knew it when that song came on they kind of all were like oh like they understood what that meant there, there was meaning there and it was only meaning for us as an audience because we'd seen the movie two movies prior. So yes, I do like it sometimes. I don't notice it all the time, but I, I think it is absolutely a thing and it, it definitely can be, I think it's more of an enhancement than it is a, a negative for sure. I agree to an extent. And I think a guy like JJ Abrams is able to do that with <laughs> all pun intended with flair. He's able to do that with his movies. <laughs> and I think the Star Trek franchise is a fantastic example of that, particularly the first one, because here we have a familiar story that gets thrown out of whack because of a choice that's made early on, you know, and, and the way that he quote rebooted the franchise and still kept the original Star Trek universe intact by creating an alternate timeline, I thought was very creative, but he, I think what he does is he uses intertextuality to enhance his story. Whereas I've seen movies who use intertextuality to just play off of the emotions of their audience. And you know what, from a money-making standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you want your audience to connect with a property that might be distant from its, you know, from, from whatever it is by creating maybe a, you know, different historical events or different events. Like for instance, uh, Nerdwriter talks about the Hobbit and I don't remember anywhere in the Hobbit where Saruman shows up 
And yet in the movies, we see him in some way or we see the, and he mentions that while that's not necessarily (laughs) from the book standpoint accurate, it gets your audience connected back to the trilogy that makes you want to watch the Hobbit. And so for someone like Peter Jackson, he's like, you know what? We're going to connect these guys. We're going to connect the audience as much as we can to a franchise that was absolutely adored by a ton of people. So from a, from a business standpoint, I think it's great from a creative standpoint. I think it's kind of a cop out, but when used well, and when used to help further your story, I think it can be used in a, in a very powerful way. The Force Awakens, I think, is another great example of how that's done. I didn't feel like this, anything was overdone. I felt like I felt like the Millennium Falcon wasn't just like in the junkyard and they were passing it. You know, it was like, oh, look at that. No, it was used and it was reclaimed and it introduced Han and Chewie and they actually had meaning. They weren't just throwaway characters. They actually had an arc. And that's kind of what I wanted to lead into next was to talk about these different characters, both old and new, and how... Abrams and company handled their their different arcs. I was really, really impressed with it. And I wanted to ask uh, you, what did you think of the majority of these character arcs? Did any stand out to you? Did you feel like the ones from that we were familiar with, did you feel like they were given enough screen time? Uh, what do you think? Well, I like them all, uh, which is some, to say in something. There's no characters here that I don't enjoy I think that was a strength of the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, Very similar. We can enjoy all of them. There's nobody... I take that back. There's one character I didn't care for in The Force Awakens, and that was General Hux. Uh, I just don't don't like Dom Hall Gleeson's role. And I'm not against Dom Hall Gleeson. There's plenty of film roles that I enjoy him in, but his portrayal of that character, I just don't, don't like it at all, to be honest. Outside of him, everybody else I was fascinated by in some some way. And specifically, you know, Ray and Finn getting these unique characters. One being a female who doesn't know who her parents are and has no idea why she has force powers. Yes, she's got parallels to Luke. She comes from a desert planet and all that stuff. But in particular, the way that she's brought into our point of view for the first time, like learning about her as a scavenger and how she goes about life and how she eats every day and how compassionate she is and caring when she rescues BB eight. Um, like all of that quickly got me into being coming a Ray fan. Like I was, was right there. Didn't take long. Finn getting to experience a perspective of this, stormtrooper who's gone rogue essentially and like doesn't he wants to be a pacifist in a lot of so ways was he, a, was he a rogue one or one rogue just uh fng two three a two seven something i don't remember his number rogue one. um but i know i'm trying to ignore your joke but um <laughs> but I, I love the concept here of a stormtrooper that doesn't want to kill for the first order and doesn't want to be in stormtrooper and is trying to get away the relationships specifically between characters, I think is a strength, whether it's Finn and Ray, whether it's Ray and Han, whether it's Finn and Poe, whether it's Finn and Han, like they're, they're all of the different pairings work well with each other in, in different times in the movie and give us all these cool, unique 
relationship vibes to play off of. Um, and so I, I really like the characters and the other, the one other thing I want to say just generally is that I've kind of rolled my eyes a lot because you see on the internet, lots of people trying to figure out, you know, are Finn and Poe going to end up being a couple in the last Jedi or are Finn and Ray, you know, like everybody wants to fanfic star Wars and figure out who's going to be the next romance. What I love about all of these characters is that I actually see genuine friendships on the screen. People that care about each other, that have no need for romantic dealings. Does Finn find Ray attractive? Yeah, I think he makes that pretty obvious. Does that drive his decision making? Is that the reason that he cares about her? Absolutely not. And I think it shows. And I think that is a very, very big strength in the way that J.J. Abrams tells this story, is that I truly feel for all of this group of characters intermingled that they they have wonderful friendships and that that is it's okay that that's all that there is yeah i couldn't agree with you more i don't have much to say about any of that except the fact that each of these characters i can latch onto in some way shape or form and and i would i would almost love to see an offshoot of each one of these in their own standalone movie in some way shape or form at least give me a small short film, maybe a, just a quick story here and there. But I think they all have interest in what they bring to the table because we're getting them. Again, this is what I loved about A New Hope is we we're just dropped right into the world. And so we're dropped right into the world of Ray and Finn and, and, and Poe Dameron, all these guys that are just right in there. And we want to know more about them. And it's what creates that it's it, it's what the strength of the movie is, is that intrigue that we don't know that I think the last Jedi and the episode nine will give hopefully closure to is all of these characters. And so I think almost each one of these characters I latched onto, there was one that like you, I had one that I did not care for at least not my first time around. And over the course of subsequent viewings, which is now three, I went to go see it with my wife. And then now this one, he has grown on me. And in the grand scheme of things, his character has actually become one of the more intriguing ones. And that is Kylo Ren. Now, I saw this guy on screen and I left the theater going, okay, here's a teenager who has his own lightsaber and he's just all kinds of crazy, all kinds of angry, loses control. I mean, what's his, I mean, he felt like a, an emo teenager when I, when I saw him the first time and I'm like, I don't really, I don't get, I feel like he's a, he came across as like this just teenage angst character that got the keys to the, the Mercedes and he's going out for a drive and he's going to wreck the car. And I didn't like him. I was like, I don't really even know if, this guy's going to be, I just, if he's going to be the antagonist of the, these other two movies, I don't think I'm going to enjoy myself as much. Um, I remember specifically making fun of the, the scene where he's fighting, uh, he's fighting Ray and he keeps like hitting his leg. That's been, that's been hurt. And I'm like, what do you do? I mean, are, are you trying to like numb it or whatever? But Kylo Ren essentially came across to me as just, uh, just, I don't know, just, this teen angst type thing. But over the course of subsequent viewings, they are the irony of that 
is that it became his most appealing quality because I think what he does as a character is what I find most enjoyable about the future of this franchise is that we have characters that we don't know much about that have the opportunity to round themselves out. So he comes across in one way, but I feel like it's that depiction that will allow him to potentially change or potentially not. So he could become even worse. He'd become even more evil or he could be redeemed. And for someone who likes those kinds of character stories, I think he's going to be a guy that, um, whose interest has, has me peaked. I'm, I'm really excited about seeing where Kylo Ren's character goes. Well, before I give you my thoughts on Kylo Ren, I want to tell you something before I forget it. Um, that is thanks to our friends, uh, Blaine and Josh, who have a podcast called Home One Radio. Home One Radio it is a Star Wars podcast. We're going to plug it this episode. We'll plug it the next episode as well. But they are every week talking Star Wars. It's amazing stuff if you're a Star Wars fan, so check them out. Thanks to them. I actually found out about these little series of web-based 2D animated shorts. Uh, and when you were talking about wanting just short films or more about these characters, there are films, and I'm talking like two, three-minute shorts, uh, that explore some of the the characters like Ray, BB-8, Finn, etc. It's called Forces of Destiny, and Patrick, I will share with you the link. But if you go to Disney's dot com somewhere type in forces of destiny star wars you can you can pull them up and you can watch them online they're really cool um some of them uh, cover characters from the clone wars uh some of them cover characters from the series rebels and older films so it's a wide swath but they're really cool forces of destiny now moving on kylo ren i'm right there with you brother i hated him the first time i saw him I thought the same thing you did. I couldn't get over the teen angst and the emo and the like, oh my gosh, I just want to go cut myself because things didn't go right. Like, I know I'm kind of making fun of that right now and I'm not really like that. But um, if people actually have a problem with that, sorry. But the point is, like, that was the stereotype that Kylo Ren was playing. He was butthurt because he couldn't be as bad as his grandfather as fast as he wanted to be. And Snoke wouldn't let him do the things he wanted to do. And he couldn't, you know, get his way. And it just, it was really a turnoff at first. But like you, I have come to really enjoy him. And I think it's, it's more than enjoying his character in this movie. It's enjoying the potential that I think he holds for the future. And where he can go, like what he could evolve into that would be different than Darth Vader. And there's two things about him that I really noticed on this last viewing. One is there is a flash sequence of the Knights of Ren, which were his group that came with him and, and followed him after his, you know, after he left Luke's temple uh, and training with Luke. And there's just this awesome shot of them in the rain and dude like i paused and just stared at it and then watched it over and over a couple times because it's real brief but that kind of like snippet of little information that jj put into force awakens there's there's several things in the movie that are like that that make you think oh oh i want to know more about that 
that really got to me this time around and excited me. And I would love to know more about Kylo's history and those Knights of Ren. Like, where did all the, where did they go? Where are those other Jedi um, trainees that were with him at the time? The other thing that really stood out to me about Kylo is that he is actively fighting against the light. And more so than many, more so than really almost any Jedi I think we've seen on screen, he seems to like genuinely struggle with that. He's having to forcefully turn himself to the dark side. Like it's not coming easy to him. <laughs> and so he wants to do it. And it's, it's almost like you, you, you think of it as like a, a low level criminal trying to prove themselves to the mob boss, right? Or, or, or the guys trying to, to do the, do the best crime that they can so that they can be in the Joker's good graces and be his top guy. That's what it almost feels like. And I wonder how that's going to play out, right? Because it's, it's a concept that I can relate to. I feel like humanity in general has this same struggle where a lot of times we fight against what we know is right for seemingly no reason at all <laughs> other than the other side looks kind of cool. And, uh, and so, or we want a little more power. We want a little more, more money or a little yeah. more status. Um, and so that's, that's what I see in him now. And he, ever since I started viewing him like that, he's become like a favorite character instead of a annoyance. Yeah. Adam driver as an actor. I think I've seen him in a couple other things. I think he was in midnight special last year when we covered that. And he's just a really good actor. And that's part of what increased my appreciation for Kylo Ren, because I feel like characters who I feel like anybody who's in the star Wars franchise who gets picked to play a character is going to put everything into it and, and wants to bring their a game. So knowing what I know about him now from an acting standpoint and seeing some of his other work, I can appreciate more of what he brought to the, to the table as Kylo Ren. And I had never thought, and I'm glad you brought this up about the fact that he's actively fighting against being in the light. I mean, we have, we have Skywalker in the early films fighting against the darkness or maybe, yeah, or Darth Vader, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So this is a different, different take on it. And, and I love that you brought that up. So I really appreciate that. Well, you are um, welcome. Yeah. Were there any other characters that stood out to you? Um, you know, just little snippets of them really, you know, I, I enjoy the way that, like I said, I, I really liked Ray's introduction um, I'm so glad that we have a strong female character that is a lead that can, that can play into this. Um, socially, I know, you know, much is made about, oh, this, we should, you know, celebrate it simply because she's a woman. Well, I'm celebrating it because she's an awesome character and it's extra good that she's a woman because we need that. But I don't celebrate it simply because of her gender. I celebrate it because JJ Abrams made her well-rounded and interesting and you know really really cool for someone to look up to yeah um poe and finn like i said the friendship between them i'm really excited to see where that goes i think that could be seriously meaningful down the road 
Um, unfortunately, it also could be setting us up for some serious heartbreak, knowing the way that uh, Star Wars movies have gone in the past. But hey, who knows? We'll see. Um, I love that Finn just says what he thinks, and he usually says what he thinks people will will, will help people believe him or like him. And that comes from his upbringing. So again, we have these fully fleshed out characters that are acting away because of their history. They're not just acting that way because the story, you know, it makes the story funnier in the moment. You know, Finn, there's a great scene with Finn and Poe when they first meet and he says, you're looking for a pilot. He's like, yeah, I'm looking for a pilot, you know? And then, and then, <laughs> and then Poe finally realized he's like, you need a pilot. Like you, you can't get out of here without me. Like that's the only reason you're actually here helping me is because you need me. Right. And then the look on Poe's, or the look on Finn's face is kind of very much like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it, that, what it boils down to. Um, and so there's a lot of little moments like that with Finn that I think are, are really cool. And so I, yeah, I love, I love those, those guys a lot. Finn is easily the funniest character in this whole movie. And I think that every Star Wars movie has a funny man. I don't think there's any, maybe they don't come across as funny as they should, but I think every Star Wars movie tends to have that one character that you just love having on screen because you know, he's going to make you laugh. Finn's relationship when we get between him and Ray in particular, I love the fact that he continues as they're being chased while they're on uh, Jakku, he's trying to, he grabs her hand. She's like, quit holding my hand, which is a great little visual indicator that, Hey, look, we've got a strong female lead. She doesn't need your help. But even his, with um, his relationship with, with Poe is so good because they're both just genuinely excited when they get in that TIE fighter and they're shooting things down. Like I can, yeah, you can, yeah, that's great. It is a great scene. Yeah. There's just, there's so much about, and it calls back to Luke and Han too. When they first get in the Millennium Falcon and Luke yep. gets in that for the first time and he's calling him kid, right? Mm-hmm. I believe Poe actually refers to Finn as kid. He's saying when he's telling, when he's talking to him about shooting. And, and so it, it, like you said, it's that intertextuality. You remember that mm-hmm. and you go, Oh yeah, I remember how excited those two guys were. And now these right. two guys are excited about it too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just good stuff though, and a well-made film. I, I think. I I love it when characters work the way that these characters do and the fact that we can latch on to pretty much all of them. I, I don't know what I think of Snoke. I still joke that, um, that Voldemort uh, apparently got some work after Harry Potter, uh, by be, by playing Snoke because of this overly CGI entity. I don't know what he is or who he is. Um, I guess we'll get more from that, but he wasn't, he didn't come across as, at least for me, he didn't come across as very overpowering. Uh, and maybe he wasn't meant to, but he was a character that I think I could do away with. I'm sure, I know he's coming back, but he didn't really do it much for me. I think he needs to exist because I think there has to be someone that is over Kylo Ren that yeah. he's stri- striving to be like. My bet is that, Snoke is like Yoda size and that's why when we see him he's always gigantic like his 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 hologram is humongous. He's not just like a normal sized hologram. 
Pay so no my, attention to the man behind the curtain. So my guess is that he's like Yoda sized, some sort of alien or whatever, and so that he's like overcompensating. But I am, I am actually, I, like you, I wasn't blown away by him in any way. He's kind of just there. So I'm hoping that we'll get more from him and find out like more about him, or I don't know, figure out. I mean, he's voiced by Andy Serkis, so there's potential there. Yeah, there. But I think that's a waste of Andy Serkis at that point. In my Correct. Opinion. If you're going to just hologram him. Yeah. Especially if we're going to put him in, you know, compare him to the, you know, if you're going to hologram him, I'd rather see him mo-capped with an ape face. I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> well, as always, on big episodes like this, we have a connecting point. And I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here. I'm not going to lie. My favorite, not my favorite, my connecting point, And I, I'm guessing yours is, is <sighs> Han's death. I mean, can yeah. can we can we just agree that that's the moment of the movie? Maybe maybe the the reveal of Luke, who apparently didn't have any lines, uh, but you know, I, for some reason, the reveal of Luke didn't matter much. I mean, it didn't matter, but it didn't didn't like get me all tingly. The only other thing that really emotionally moved me, and it was part of why I was okay with the Starkiller base this time around, is because there's some brief scenes when Starkiller base is about to obliterate that entire system and they take out like four or five planets at once Mm -hmm. where you see citizens on the planet staring up at the sky, seeing the light coming on the horizon, people in the background are scattering and everybody's freaking out. And it really made me, I got really emotional thinking about millions upon millions of people on five planets just were evaporated from the, earth like they're gone they just in a blink of an eye they they disappeared and what would that be like to like know that in two seconds you're going to be you're just going to incinerate like you're everything is gone everything there's Mm no your car's not left behind there's no legacy left behind it's just everything is gone everything's going to blink out of existence and how how what your brain and your body and your mind what everything would feel like for that one 10 second period that you go through that so that was a really touching, you know, awful moment for me this time around. But yes, connecting point is definitely Han's death. Well, and I wanted to touch on that because I think that a uh, th- there could be genuine criticism by saying, well, it's just another story beat for A New Hope. I mean, we have we have the death of Obi-Wan. We have the death of Han Solo. We have a death of a significant character by their not necessarily by their father necessarily, but by, you know, by the, the main antagonist. And in in some ways I can agree with that. But the thing is, I think as an audience, we have history with Han. We don't have history with Obi-Wan when we watch a new hope. I mean, as far as we know, Obi-Wan is this crazy old man who lives with the sand people, you know, and he's got, you know, he's been a mentor to Luke for maybe like two minutes and then he dies and doesn't even fight for it. Come on, Obi-Wan, what are you doing? But then we have Han Solo, who we have history with. We have three movies. We have the history of a guy frozen in carbonite and who who who, who responds in the only Han way that he, he knows when she says, I love you, he goes, I know. I mean, this is those moments like that just connect us to him. And so when when I grow up with a character like him and his relationship with others over the course of these three movies, losing him is different than losing Obi-Wan. His death has weight and it has repercussions. It forces me to look at Kylo Ren differently. 
that he's not just a teen angst guy who's just wielding a, a lightsaber. I mean, he has purpose in what he's doing and someone who is capable of killing his father because of his struggle with battling the force and the dark side. I love the setup for what will eventually come to pass, whatever that is. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen to Kylo Ren at this point. And, uh, you know, I hope to find out at some point. And I know that you do as well, Aaron. I do. And I will. Um, <laughs> no, for real, for real. This is a, this is a powerful moment. And when it happened the first time was way different than the second time. The first time we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know it was coming. And I was, I was completely caught off guard. I, when he walked out on the platform to meet Kylo Ren, I started to worry because again, in a, intertextuality, I'm going to use that word. We knew the setting. We knew it was framed in a way that was so familiar with Ray and Chewbacca looking on from afar, unable to do anything about it. And we, it was, you just kind of knew. Right. And yet your heart is begging Kylo Ren to be honest and to do the, and, and to be true because he's acting like he cares. And so you, you want him to so bad. Like you want that moment so bad for Han and for Leia and for their family but at the same time, you know, in the back of your head as a film goer, it's probably not going to go well. It was just, just a mind blowing experience. And it's up there with one of the most powerful blockbuster franchise type story beat moments in history for me. I have to admit, like you said, because we have that history, I think that's a great thing you pointed out as to why it matters is because of that, because we know him, we care about him. The things that really stood out to me this time around, one is Ben, that's what Han calls him. Han walks up and says, Ben. Kylo says, Han Solo. Okay, that's a huge thing, right? Dad is talking to his son using his first name and not his given name that he goes by, yet he's using his full name for his dad. Who does that, right? If you were walking up to your dad, you're not going to say his first and last name. So it tells you right there, there's this difference in the way that Kylo is thinking about him. Then there's the way he dies. And it, it really just kills me because of the words that Kylo says He's essentially asking Han to die for him. He, he tells him like this is, he, he basically tells him, this is what I'm doing. Like, I need you to do this for me because I want to become entangled in the dark side. I have to kill you and I need you to be this sacrifice for me. And it is just so heartbreaking and character defining. And it, and it takes all of that annoyance that we had about Kylo Ren, the little boy and completely catapults him into a new place for us forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, this scene is by far the most impactful scene in the movie and the most emotional scene in the movie. Um, and the boat and, and, and the 
same for those that we've had since probably since Luke getting his hand cut off and Vader saying, Luke, I am your father, honestly, for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's good stuff, but it's terrible stuff. And, ugh. and I'm glad it can't happen again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and credit to J.J. Abrams and company for being able to give us that impact with something that would otherwise feel very familiar. Well, man, I've enjoyed this conversation and it makes me more excited to see the movie this weekend. I, I hope that uh, you guys that are listening either have seen the movie, uh, The Force Awakens, obviously, but you've seen The Last Jedi and you can join us for our conversation next week, which will also fall on a Monday. This is not going to be a trend. This is just a, a couple of uh, weeks in a row that we just happen to have to record a day late. So if you uh, if you want to talk to us in the meantime, you can catch me at Shoeless Patch. I'm at uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can at me if you want and talk about what you thought about The Force Awakens, uh, what your thoughts are on the characters, anything you want to talk about with me specifically. Or you can do some discussion in the Facebook group. We'll drop the episode along with, um, you know, open up the comments and you guys can drop in your connecting points. And we'd love to keep the conversation going in our Facebook group as well. And, um, Along with The Last Jedi, we are also going to be uh, revealing the newly revealed Seattle Film Critics Society Awards a day late as well. So, Aaron, I know you're excited about that. Yes, I am. That's really going to be fun to go through that. This was my first time being able to be a part of that um, as, a, as a voter. We just announced our nominations today, and those are out online, so you can find those at uh, the Facebook page Seattle Film Critics Society or also at Seattle Critics on Twitter and uh, or Seattle Critics SeattleFilmCritics.com if you'd like to check out the entire list of, of who we nominated I'm I'm pretty excited about it Blade Runner led the pack yay uh, had the most nominations so I I feel vindicated in that even if it doesn't win for many of the awards that I'm going to vote for it for um so yeah, check back with us for our on our last Jedi episode, and Patrick and I will run down the winners and and have a little commentary about some of those and what we thought what we thought. In the meantime, we also are going to be dropping uh, later this week a minisode on one of my favorite movies of the year. Our favorite movies. Oh, good. One of our favorite movies of the year. I'm glad that you said that. You can just uh, go that, ahead and put it in the trophy room. I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. Oh, a five and a five. There we go. Okay. Well, I'm not afraid to say, cause it's definitely for me. Um, that movie is your name uh, is an animation film from the director, uh, Shinkai Makoto Shinkai, uh, who is uh, a new up and coming kind of director over the last 10, 10 years or so, uh, who does stunning, stunning work with animation, uh, in a in a way that I had not seen before, and he mixes that with some incredible cerebral stuff that is reminiscent of Christopher Nolan. So no shocker that Patrick and I were emotionally moved and and really enjoyed this. We have been waiting patiently to be able to talk about this film until it came out on Blu-ray and was affordable and able for people to get to see it. It's not streaming anywhere, but you can buy it for twenty bucks. I think the blu-ray on amazon and it's it's well worth buying sight unseen everyone that's done that that i know has never had a problem with it and they've they've enjoyed it so hopefully if you've seen the film you will join us for that episode and if you haven't seen the film if you get a chance to please do so it's called your name and it's wonderful we'll be talking about that one midweek otherwise you can find me everywhere online at aaron l white a-a-r-o-n-e-l-w-h-i-t-e primarily on Twitter and also chatting it up in our Facebook discussion group. 
All right, Aaron, thank you so much for that. And uh, listeners, thank you for doing what you do best. And that is listening. Until then, stay positive. And may the force be with you always. Mmm.